well, this looks different. But I'm glad to see you all, and wherever I'm supposed to be looking for those who are online, welcome you. And uh, it is really, truly great to be here. I wish I was a little better condition. I upset my motorcycle recently and messed up my back trying to lift it back up again. And so I was up all night last night with pain. However, when I'm preaching, adrenaline kicks in and I feel no pain. And right now, I feel no pain at all. And, uh, and so I think I just got to, so maybe I'd love to have a pain-free day, so maybe I should preach the whole day. And, uh, but anyway, it's great to see you all and see some people I haven't seen for a long time, and so many of you I've never seen before. And uh, I am so honored to be able to be here in light of the great preaching you receive every Sunday. Pastor Joel is looked upon as one of the great preachers of this part of the world, and we're so honored that he is leading this church and brought together such a great team. Let me tell you, I expect some of you are mighty excited about what's happening in this place because of what God is doing through this team at this time. But let me tell you this, there is nobody more excited about it than I am. There's no way you can, your excitement can beat my excitement because I'm so thankful for what God is doing. But we have to remember, there is a reason for all of that. And if we're going to keep moving ahead like never before, then there's things to consider, things to think about in that process. When I first came here 50 years ago, really, we had a little church down in the corner of Queen and Archibald, which now is a vacant parking lot that will hold eight cars. That was the extent of the property that we own. And God has led in so many wonderful ways, but in the beginning days, the church was almost 100 years old at the time. There was a lot of pushback and a lot of opposition in many ways, not only in the church, but outside the church as well. We're getting it from all directions. And uh, there's, there's some reasons for that that I probably am responsible for to a great degree, but we'll get into that a little later. And regardless of who was the cause of that pushback, I was battle-worn, battle-weary, wanted to give up, wanted to get out of here, and yet God would not let me go. And so I sat down when I was feeling sorry for myself one week, and I read the entire book of Nehemiah in one sitting, which I did this last week again. And when I saw what Nehemiah went through and the pushback that he received and the, the misunderstanding and the ridicule and the opposition and people trying to kill him on the outside and people in his own team trying to kill him, I thought to myself, you whining wimp, I'm talking about me, what a wimp. I was when, in light of what I saw and read about Nehemiah going through. And I'll tell you what, I stood up and I said, we're going to go forward no matter what the cost, no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the opposition. And I'm telling you, when we see the great need, we've got to go for it. When we think of this world, oh, wasn't it wonderful to see these baptisms this morning? 
Hallelujah. And, and see what God is, is doing. And I remember during those days, a mentor of mine said to me, a man that I highly regard, one of the most outstanding leaders in Atlantic Canada at the time. He said, Laurel, you get what you go after. And then he said, you've got to go with the people who will go with you. And I had so many people that I didn't think were with me. But then there were those who were solidly behind the cause to which we've been called that we needed to be committed to. And so I decided and realized that people are bothered about change. Most people do not like change. And I, of course, was young and didn't understand all that. The only people who really like change are babies who've got dirty diapers. They welcome change. But other than that, most people do not like change. I remember speaking not long ago in a place and everybody was very enthusiastic. I was talking about change and all that we need to do to change, to connect with the culture of the day. And so now when I say that, I want you to hear this. I am not talking about changing the message. The message of the gospel is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago and has been relevant through all the changing cultures throughout the world, throughout all of history, and still meets the deepest need of the heart. But what does need to be changed is how we get that gospel through, and sometimes people misunderstand and think we're compromising because they think any change is a negative thing. Well, this was some of the, the pushback that we received, and I, 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 I've noticed that people, now listen to this, people love hearing about change until you try to change the thing that they love. And that then sometimes is a bit of a problem. And so we need to keep changing in a way that is going to help us to get the message out there. Recently, I was asked to preach to a large group of youth pastors and youth leaders. Can you imagine? 80 years old, asked to preach to youth pastors and youth leaders? And I said to that to one of the men, great men of this church that I have such an appreciation for, I said, can you imagine? Oh, he said, Pastor, that's understandable. I said, it is? He said, age is irrelevant if you're relevant to the age. And we must forever be relevant to the age that we're trying to reach. And so I want to show you today some of the important factors with Nehemiah that caused him to see wonderful, powerful, glorious victory that God wants for his church in today's world. Nehemiah, it's clear in the scripture here, he had a certain call. I was glad to hear the people being baptized and others talking about call this morning. He had a certain call to a clear cause to which he was committed with deep conviction. And friends, that is what it takes to keep moving forward, no matter what the difficulties, what the setbacks. And listen, all of us in life, you all know this. I mean, I'm not, I'm just, this is repetitious. But 
no matter what walk of life, we face difficulty and opposition. That is a part of what life is all about. But that does not mean that we have to give in to it and wimp out and lay down and let the other side win. And so we see with Nehemiah that certain call. I want you to notice in your Bibles in the 12th verse, he said, what God put in my heart to do in Jerusalem. Now listen, friends. God has called us all that are part of his family to do something. We all have the great responsibility and the joy of doing something that is in harmony with his purpose when he went to the cross. Now some people will say, well, it's not so important what you do as it is to be what you should be. Well, I think it's not an either or. In order for us to do what we should do, then we need to be what we should be. And being what we should be, if we're going to be what we should be, a part of that is doing what we should do because it's all interrelated. Some people say it's not important to talk the talk as it is to walk the walk. Well, again, it's not either or. It's important to walk the walk and so that when we talk the talk to other people about what Christ has done, they're going to respect that and believe it because they see how we're walking the walk. But we're really not walking the walk the way God intended for us to walk the walk unless we're all talking the talk. It's all a part of the whole thing, what God has called us to. And so he's called us to be. He's called us to do. And, and uh, we see that this is what Jesus went to the cross for. And if we are going to be, now, I want to hear, hear this. I think there's followers of Jesus. I think there are faithful followers of Jesus. But what I want to mention here this morning is for us to be full followers of Jesus Christ. Full followers, not just partial followers. And a full follower will walk the walk and talk the talk. And we see what Jesus had to say. And I was thinking this morning, there's probably a few people in this place that have been here for a long time. You might have heard me say this 50 times. And if I were continuing as pastor, which I'm not going to be, I don't think when maybe Joel finishes, maybe I'll take over then. But uh, that's 30 years from now, so we'll wait and see how that goes. But this needs to be repeated over and over and over and over in order for us to get it and understand it and understand the full blessing that comes from it. When Jesus was talking about the fields being white unto harvest, and he'd been talking and working. His disciples came to him and said, would you like to have something to eat? Would you like to have some meat? This is in John chapter 4 and verse 34. And here's what Jesus said, which is very interesting to me. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of the Father. Now, what was the will of the Father? Help get people to Christ. That was the will of the Father. That's what the Father did when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And that was part of walking the walk, talking the talk, and receiving this nourishment that God wants for us. Now, here's what I want to make clear. 
We could be the most saintly people on the face of the earth by praying hours every day, by attending church regularly, by everything else that we might be as far as lifestyle and and reading the Bible and maybe have the whole Bible practically memorized and still be missing out on a spiritual dimension of nourishment that God intends for every one of us. And that nourishment, that food, that food that we all need comes from having a part, some part, some part, it may be a small part, any part, a little part, a big part, in helping get people to Jesus. That is something that he wants for all of us to be a part of. And then when we are involved in that and we see people that we're concerned about coming to Christ and lives being transformed, then that is a food that we receive. Just We will receive food by just seeking to do it. So a certain call to do. And God has something for every one of us in this place to do. And as we do it, the way he wants us to do it, then we'll get that nourishment that comes from doing it. Then we read a clear cause. That cause was as clear as crystal for Nehemiah. There was nothing fuzzy about it whatsoever. We read in the 17th verse, he said, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be a disgrace or be in disgrace. Now, what does that mean for us today? As we think of what Nehemiah felt he needed to do to the glory of God back then. One of the things that has troubled me from my early days when I was just a kid and when I was called into ministry was the disgrace of a dead, dying, declining church. I know some of you have heard me talk about this so much, but I just feel this is an opportunity for some people who are new and maybe some who need to hear it again. Listen, listen. The church needs to be the most alive place on the face of the earth, the most dynamic place that you could ever be, the happiest place you could ever be, the most joyous place you could ever be, the most alive place of any place in the entire city. That is what God wants for his church. I'm reading a secular book right now meant for businessmen. It's called The Amazement Revolution. Well, I'll tell you what, what I love to see when I see a church like this and see what Pastor Joel is doing to lead this place, I see as people come in here, happy to come in here, happy to be in here, all the rest. It is an amazement revolution of the church of Jesus Christ. And may this place be forever an amazing place because of what God is doing. And that brings great Glory to God as we see the church no longer being a disgrace. Now, David of old, he faced Goliath. We all know that story, the David and Goliath story. But what did he say when he saw what seemed to be an insurmountable obstacle? He said, 
Is there not a cause? And when I see the decline of the church in general, I say, is there not a cause? And I have to tell you in my own journey, that sense of concern about the cause has intensified with the passing of time as I see the green. Listen, not long ago, I saw in the Moncton Times and Transcript on the front page something that was so disappointing to me where I talked about a church that it was closing because they no longer had the people or the resources, the financial resources that keep it going. And the person that, was, that they were talking to said, we're just having happen with us what's happening in all churches. Churches are declining. They're losing their members. They're de- and they're going downhill. And so they were justifying what was happening because of what they saw happening in most churches from their perspective. Well, I am saying to us today, the church, I believe, has the potential to be the most alive and the most progressive and the most effective today than ever before in history as we are willing to see it, see this great need, see the decline as a cause. And I just thank God right now because of what I am doing, meeting with churches and doing consultations and a bunch of other things, that I'm now able to have more direct impact in helping in that cause than even when I was pastoring this church. And so there is a cause, a clear cause. Nehemiah had that clear cause. Let me just give you a little idea of what I'm talking about. I read the history of a church not far from here. Back in the turn of the last century, in that community, they had a revival campaign. And in that revival, 500 people came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. That's, isn't that something? It wasn't a big place. It's a small town. 500 people were transformed by the power of the gospel. Boy, that must have been a joyous time. There must have been a lot of energy and excitement during that day. And as a result, they built this big, beautiful church that stood there until very recently. That particular church once was born in revival. It was born preaching the gospel. It was born preaching that lives can be transformed. And then that got all compromised to be modernized. And the church just continued to decline, decline, and decline until a few years, just two or three years ago, the whole building was torn down. We're seeing that happen all over the place. But where the gospel is being preached, where people have a cause, where people are willing to make the changes necessary to connect with the culture of today, the church of Jesus Christ is marching forward as much today as ever before in history. Isn't that great to know? And you're a part of that kind of a church, and you're to be commended for being a part of that kind of church. And so I feel... So energized. You know, it was interesting to me. I was thinking about this before the service, that it was mentioned in the service. Everywhere I go, people are saying, where do you get your energy? And then we heard Pastor Austin say this morning something about that energy. And I don't know whether I, I'm showing any great energy here now, with my, but my back is feeling pretty good right now. Hallelujah. Uh, but I'm not quite up to par, perhaps. But anyway... 
it's, it's kind of nice to have that said. I, 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 <laughs> I remember, I'm, I'm all, I, I need to confess this. In my 30s, I used to preach here and say, I want to preach until I'm 80, and then God take me to heaven. Now, I must have thought in my 30s that 80 was old. I can't believe that. <laughs> Can you imagine? And I changed my mind on that. I'm not ready. I'm ready, but I don't want to go just yet. And, 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 uh, and I also thought, how would that made the 80-year-olds of that day feel? Like they should be gone? What a terrible thing. But that's youth and inexperience and all the rest. And so there's a reason. I was in a, a conference not long ago. There was a conference of, of pastors across the nation. I was one of their speakers. And uh, they had me on a panel. And this was, these were Christian leaders, pastors and so on. And they asked me the question, which was a surprise question. They said, where do you get your energy? Well, here's what causes energy. Energy that anybody can have that is a part of the family of God. Listen, life is not about pleasure. Life is about purpose. Now, when you have the right purpose and you are energized in seeing that purpose fulfilled, there's power in purpose, and that will be your pleasure. And the greatest pleasure in the world is being a part of his plan and his purpose and following through on what he would have us to do. You know, years ago, I wrote something called the manifesto, and it was all about a cause. It was all about a purpose. And I read the book written by the famous author, Rick Warren. He was the person who talked about, wrote a book about the purpose-driven life. That became the bestseller of any book ever in history except the Bible. There's no other book that's ever matched it, which is really something, because it was all about how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But before that, he wrote a book on the purpose-driven church. Well, I read that book, and I thought, oh, my goodness, everything in there I wish I had written myself because I practiced most of what he wrote and believed so much of what he said. In fact, I think I believed everything that he said in that book. And I thought, this is something. I wonder if I have the word purpose in the manifesto that I spent a long time working on and developing. So I went through that manifesto, and I discovered I had the word purpose in there 11 times. And I thought to myself, Rick Warren must have got a hold of my manifesto, and that's what inspired him to write that book. Well, it's not quite, but I'm telling you what, if you want to know about energy, if you're wondering about energy, energy comes when we have the right kind of purpose. And that purpose will liberate us to find the answers that we need to find to break through there's three kinds of Christians. There's the barge Christian, the sailboat Christian, and the ocean liner Christian. Now, the barge Christian, they can carry a pretty heavy load, but they need to be pushed or pulled. Then the sailboat Christian can move along pretty good, but the winds have to be favorable. Everything kind of has to be going their way. But I thank God 
that there's also the ocean liner Christian, and that ocean liner Christian is driven by purpose, a purpose that is in harmony with his purpose when he sent God's purpose when he sent Jesus to that cross. And that purpose keeps them headed through the storms, keeps them headed through the opposition, keeps them moving no matter what the difficulties and carrying the load as well because there is a power within through the power of the Holy Spirit that enables them to surge forward to the glory of God because they have purpose. And Nehemiah saw the disgrace of the walls broken down, and Nehemiah had purpose. Some, there'll be lots that will test the call. Thomas Carlyle has made a statement that goes like this. A person with a clear purpose will make progress on even the roughest road, but a person with no purpose will make no progress even on the smoothest road. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? It's not, it doesn't depend what we accomplish. It ha- does not depend upon how smooth the road is. It doesn't depend upon circumstances. Some of the people who have seen the greatest success, and we read in that scripture too, where in the 20th verse it says, the God of heaven will give us success. God wants you and I to succeed in following that call, in, in that great purpose of his. He doesn't want us to, to fail in that purpose. He wants us to succeed in that great purpose. And when we follow his cause and his call, no matter how rough the territory or how great the pushback of the opposition, we're going to see things happen that will glorify him and cause the church to be alive and well and marching forward to the glory of God like never, ever before. So then there's a reason that Nehemiah saw the great things happen that he saw. He had a deep conviction of this commitment to the call that he had to the cause that he had been called to. That was the reason that God blessed and they saw victory in spite of all the pushback and all the difficulty. Just look a little bit at some of the pushback. We read in the 19th verse, part of that verse, when some others heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? Are you rebuilding against the king? They tried to use all kinds of tactics to make him look bad. He had people fighting him on the outside, people fighting him on the inside. Then we read over again uh, where, let me see, what verse was that? Uh, verse, chapter 4 and verse 8. We read these, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. And oftentimes, when people have a call to a clear cause, there will be the devil-inspired people that will do everything to oppose. But should that deter us? That should just spur us on to help us to be more determined to do what God has called us to do. Yeah, he had all kinds of opposition, but it does not determine. Opposition just absolutely does not determine whether or not we move forward. Success in the whole process is determined by what makes us quit. In other words, we stop succeeding where we quit. Nehemiah 
had no quit in him. And if we are to be full followers of Jesus Christ in following his will, there can be no quit in us. Has anybody, have you ever heard tell of anybody quitting their way to success? I never have. It doesn't work that way. And Nehemiah did not quit even though it was dismal. I'm telling you, it was dismal what he was going through. You know, I love to be motivated. I love the feeling of motivation. I love when I can hear and be in an environment where everybody is motivated. And you just are excited about what you believe you can do because of that good feeling of motivation. I remember being in Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia many years ago. And the preacher was an orator that was preaching, B.R. Lakin. In fact, we had him in this church not long afterwards. And, and B.R. Lakin was taking people into the heavenlies with his oratory, and the people were clapping and shouting and amening him and, and cheering. It was, a, it was the most energized atmosphere. You talk about energy. I ever remember being in in my life up until that time. I mean, it was it was so energized, and the people were so fired up that one guy threw his Bible into the into the air, and it was a higher ceiling than this ceiling, and it hit the ceiling. He was so fired up, he threw his Bible just because of the energy and the excitement of that atmosphere. Just like, you're so energized here this morning, I can just tell. I'm going to believe that whether you are or not. But I think you feel it. Don't you feel it a little bit? Amen. That's great. And so, so that is a wonderful, listen, when you're in that atmosphere, you just feel like, bring it on. Bring it on. Bring on the worst of the worst, and I'll conquer. But I'm telling you, the minute we're faced with rejection, really and truly, all that feeling just totally disappears. Feeling is the worst possible fuel on which to run the spiritual motor and keep it going. Because the minute we face an obstacle that is disappointing, the feeling of disappointment, the feeling of rejection, the feeling of uh, ups, being upset about whatever's going on, that will just cause you to lose all of that fired up feeling you have. So what is the kind of thing that is going to keep that spiritual motor moving in spite of whatever pushback is what Nehemiah had. Nehemiah, I love what he said in the 20th verse of that chapter. He said, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. In King James, it says, we, his servants, and I, here, here's the way I feel Nehemiah must have said that, with conviction, probably held up his fist in front of the crowd and say, we will arise and we will build no matter what the opposition. We will do it because the God of heaven, he's with us. And he will give us what we need in order to get the job done that he has called us to. And he's made that call very clear. It's a clear cause to a certain call. And we're going to, we're going to follow through. Now, I'll tell you what. I think 
Well, I know what happened. That inspired the people. And there's enough people that were willing to go with him. Not everybody was, even some of his own people. But because there were enough that were willing to go with him. So what am I saying? Feeling is the worst fuel on which to run the spiritual motor. What it takes is commitment. Commitment to do the right thing always, whether I feel like it or not, because it is right to do, and it's because that is what God would have me to do, regardless of whether I feel like it or not. That's what's going to keep the motor going and keep us going, moving ahead to the glory of God. Feeling. Colin Powell wrote something that is very interesting. We can get up there on the screen. Someday it'll come up there. He said this. There we are. Perpetual optimism is a force multiplier. Now, every one of those words means something. Not optimism when everything's going good. Not optimism some of the time. And really what that boils down to in the Christian world is perpetual faith in the God that we serve, that he will see us through. That means faith in the difficult times, faith in the dark times, faith in the times of great pain and opposition. And what does that do? It does what it did in Nehemiah's day. It was a force multiplier that got all those people who were facing all that opposition on board who said, we will arise, we will build, we are committed, we have a passion for a vision, we're not going to give up, we're with you. His optimism and faith was a force multiplier that stirred the people to believe and be willing to go forward. And let me tell you this, the happiest people in any place are the people who are willing to get involved. They're in attendance. They're willing to be in small groups. They're willing to have a ministry of some kind. And let me just read a little portion that came out of, and I'm winding her down here. Boy, that's good to have music kind of bringing you to a close. That's good. These guys are good. They must have some long-winded preachers here or something that they learned how to do that. But listen to this, and I know that this is Maybe a, a little more difficult to get when we're reading it. Because of the magnitude of our task, the church urgently, urgently needs workers, tithers, soul winners. This is from the manifesto. Because of a crucial, critical cause, because of the battles we must be winning against Satan with ever-increasing momentum, God urgently needs an army in which there are no broken ranks, no defections, but to the contrary, a constant addition of solid, steadfast, dependable warriors. As a result, the church will have such a powerful impact in the community that the most disinterested person will not be able to ignore the testimony of the church. And that is happening, has happened in this city. A most obvious and practical processing, the goal realized, is through a born-again, Spirit-filled people, committed, there you go again, committed to a close walk with God by a consistent spiritual life through prayer, getting into the Word, total obedience, regular church attendance, and I know it's difficult for some during these days, but that will turn around, and availability and involvement in dedicated service. Now, depending upon the degree of commitment, there you have it again, 
and cooperation, the church will be growing spiritually and numerically with hundreds of happy, enthusiastic, blessed people involved in seeing the goal realized, the cause pursued, the purpose fulfilled to the extent that everybody in the greater Moncton area will be touched by the message of the gospel. Do you believe it? Amen. I believe it. And we stand in amazement of what God is going to, God, there was, a, there was a thing years ago, some theologians said, God is dead. They wrote, and they got all kinds of press. Everybody was talking about, God is dead. I'll tell you what, if God was, if that were true, and I know it's ridiculous to even hardly respond to it, but if that were true, I wonder who knew him well enough to identify the remains. And how come if God was dead, how come I wasn't informed? I'm a member of the family. Now I want to say to us today, and I want to reiterate, he is alive. And he is ready and willing to do what needs to be done to his glory and for his glory. And you will see here in Nehemiah something that is pretty exciting about what God has done, did in that day. It says, all the people went away to eat and drink and spend portions of food to celebrate. What are we in here? The celebration center. So it's a place to celebrate, is it not? Do you feel like celebrating this morning? A place with great joy because, because how they understood the words that have been made known to them. Will you stand with me, please? And I want you to notice a verse of scripture. If you have your Bibles, in the sixth verse of that eighth chapter, and it says, they praised the Lord, the great God and all the people. They lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen, amen. Let's lift our hands. Amen, say it. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Let us move forward to the glory of God. 